1: Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
2: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world, I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is TalkArt.
3: Welcome to Talk Art.
2: How are you, Robert?
3: I'm feeling collaborative. That's a
2: nice feeling. Why? It
3: is. Well, for many, many reasons. Because um, since I've been stuck in my house for the last few weeks, I've been really reflecting a lot and I'm feeling incredibly lucky and thankful for the life that I have. And I know that we do create our own lives for ourselves. But Mm. at the same time, you can't do it without other people that you care about and love. And those people are majority of them are artists in my life and i feel like my whole reality wouldn't exist without them and i know that i'm a kind of cheerleader and supporter and you know even through the gallery work i do you kind of you kind of look after people but i you know i have to have people to look after and without art then my life wouldn't really exist in the way that it does and there's an amazing quote by our guest who we're going to be speaking to today and Mm -hmm. she said that nothing happens without the work and it was in a question and answer session recently, she currently has a show at the New Museum, which is on hold because of this quarantine time. But she did a wonderful question and answer at the beginning of the show. And that was advice she gave to artists. And it really struck me, because even though I'm not an artist, it's so true. Like, my whole life wouldn't exist without artist work or art. So mm-hmm. um, I'm feeling thankful and grateful for that. So we would like to welcome to talk art. Jordan Castillo.
1: <laughs> that wasn't the best introduction I've ever had in my life. Well, was an so it honor wasn't. To be here. Thank you. It was. It was. That was oh, okay, truly good. the best introduction I've ever had. Oh, um, I, I really that. appreciate that. And you nailed it. And I love that that's the quote that you picked because um, it is the philosophy. It's probably the one that comes out of my mouth most frequently. Is it really? Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. That. Nothing happens without the work. It's the thing I repeat the most to my students and yeah. people around me. So I truly do so believe
3: that. It's true though. And like talking about your students, one of the reasons I really and Russell and I both really wanted to talk to you is because of um you've taught a lot. And you're you're actually quite a young person yourself, but you're actually a really sort of um successful teacher. Mm-hmm. And I, I I find that so inspiring because even us doing this podcast, it's all kind of about education and us learning, and then by default, our listeners learning. Um, and what what was it for you that kind of led you to that? To you know, to be a teacher at such a
1: young age. Um, so I like truly from as far back as I can remember, have always been drawn towards being an educational-seeming role. So I would spend my summers when I was in college going to nonprofits that worked in the arts and working with young people. I just always loved babysitting. I remember being quite young. At 12, I took my first CPR class so that I could learn cpr and get certified like a babysitting certification just because i loved being around kids um and i would pace the block and like pass out flyers to try to get people to like hire me as a babysitter which is totally creepy no now um, no totally <laughs> so I, I definitely um was living the the young entrepreneur dream and yeah. It I it thought you meant you hand me. that flyers
2: for people to do CPR on them.
1: Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, it's true. In the on the flyer, it's that I was CPR certified, which might have been a signal of um, maybe
0: brilliance Worry, or yeah. yeah, exactly. As a young parent, <laughs> negligence. But, <yeah. laughs>
1: and it's a 13 year old girl pacing around with her wagon, <laughs> passing out flyers saying, "I know CPR. Let me take care of your childrens." Um, but I think that that has innately been a part of who I am. That I've always been kind of community driven and focused, and always mm-hmm. saw opportunities to like learn from others and then share my learnings with them that it, awesome. it's about kind of a mutual exchange and it's evolved in different ways it's gone from my wagon to teaching special education in Denver after college for a year I taught special education that's where education you're from isn't it Denver I, yeah I was born yep. and raised in Denver Colorado which mm-hmm. um was a magnificent experience having the mountains as a landscape but um yeah then I I literally kind of went off to Yale somehow, um, which is a whole nother story. And then now I'm teaching again. So it it feels really cyclical in my ability to kind of return to the things that are truest about myself and education Mm -hmm. and painting or making in general are kind of the two most consistent things if I were to think back on my life um, that were innately who I was, was just part of who I am as a person.
2: Are you able to teach now then while you're because we're all in lockdown? Are you finding (laughs) are you doing this whole Zoom thing that everyone's involved in and teaching students that way?
1: Yeah. Do you have people relying
2: on you right now to get them through certain grades and stuff?
1: Totally. So I mean I teach advanced painting, um, which is uh very difficult under these circumstances, without a doubt, Mm. because a lot of my students Um, live at home still or in living circumstances where there are multiple people sharing small apartments, that they don't necessarily have the space or the materials anymore to continue Mm -hmm. to paint. So we've really had to kind of push creative thinking to its brink as we try to figure (laughs) out how to best support their painting practices. Mm -hmm. And what I've really kind of come down to is that their painting practice matters, but it's really an opportunity to be a mentor more than anything and, and a guide and a support for them and their kind of emotional and physical being um, that... Right. There's ways to be creative that may or may not involve actual paint. So I am teaching and I'm teaching on Fridays and I've kind of, they call it asynchronous and synchronous learning. Um, so I've tried to do a lot of asynchronous learning so they can kind of come in and go as they please or as they need because right. they're working mm-hmm. um, and set up. It's kind of calls like this. Like I've actually used my network. I've made a call to a lot of my friends and artists, saying, "Would you guys do twenty-minute pop-ins with my students, um, just to try oh, to nice. keep them?" Yeah, right. I'm super yeah. excited about it. Like so guest, I've already got gotten... guest crits, sort of. Thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But not even like formal crits. Just like guest pop-ins. Just like guest, hello, I'm an artist. I'm living and I'm working. Oh, that's oh, ask me some questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah just ask that. me questions. Share whatever <laughs> they want.
2: And you've so been setting kind of this up in your now. bathroom, haven't you? I saw on your yeah. Instagram. Oh yeah, on...
1: everything's in my bathroom. You right know, <laughs> <laughs> that's where you just had me leave to get closer to the router. Um,
2: uh,
1: <laughs> that's the only place I have a door in my apartment because I'm in a studio oh, wow. apartment. So when there's th- there, when there's work to be done, my, my partner sees me disappear into the bathroom. Um, so
2: that's, that's my that's, that's where your best, <laughs> work, best work is made. Yeah, right, yeah, that's Jordan. where all that's, right. the that's where everyone wants is. to know. Uh, exactly. Amazing. Don't tell people
3: my and secrets. And your, um, your show, which is currently installed at New Museum is portraits of students at Rutgers University where you teach.
1: Yeah, so the there those paintings are included in the show at the New Museum. That exhibition features nearly 40 paintings that kind of span the past seven years of my career. Um, mm-hmm. But the first room that you enter when the elevator is open is a painting, a room with I think almost eight paintings of all my students. So your first encounter with my work is of the paintings of my students. And it's the most recent body of work that I exhibited at Casey Kaplan Gallery here in New York City in November of 2019. So it's pretty powerful, without a doubt, to walk in and be greeted by these young minds and their creative spaces.
2: Is that pretty amazing to have done them paintings in 20... When did you paint them? 2018? In
1: 2018, 2019. So is that quite amazing
2: just to to do them then and then for them to suddenly be in a museum?
1: Oh, it's unreal. I mean, so much of (laughs) exhibiting paintings in general in an institutional capacity feels totally unreal to me because as a young person, I would enter museums and be like, oh, wow, these are things that have already been determined for me as important. And Mm. um, I don't know how they got there, but I know I'm supposed to know that this is like valuable in the context of culture or whatever. And now it's me. It's my works on the wall. It's absolutely absurd. I walk in and I'm like, "Is this real? Like, I'm I'm mm-hmm. sure this it's is a dream, a hoax. Yeah, it's a hoax of some sort. That it's going to be a magical wall that disappears, and I'll see something <laughs> else behind it. And it's <laughs> Someone else's own. work.
2: Yeah, you're yeah, like, oh, exactly. it is it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you've kidding. titled <laughs> you've titled your yeah. show Within Reach. Is the name of your show at the new museum? What is that? What does that title mean for you, and why is that important?
0: So
1: that title, I think, is twofold. It is the title of an actual painting that's being exhibited in the show called Within Reach, and it features a young man kind of crawling across their caretaker's lap, and you can't see what they're reaching for, what this young person's reaching for, but there's kind of a real sense of movement and engagement. It feels clear that there's... Um, a caretaker or maybe a parent the legs of the person they're crawling over are bigger than their own mm-hmm. um, so I love the idea that there's a painting that is inspired the title the painting is actually exhibited in the work but then the notion of within reach that my um, relationships with all of these people have always been within reach the paintings represent living people um, real people in my life and and those people were, oftentimes genuinely within my orbit already that they were already within reach of my kind of expansive realm of thinking and engagement that um that our ability to connect with one another even if we're you're (laughs) in england you're in london right now and i'm here Mm -hmm. in new york city that everybody Mm -hmm. and everything is within reach if we just take a step outside of our comfort zone and figure out ways to connect with one another definitely Mm
3: -hmm. definitely i i I think for me one of the reasons i first connected to your work was this sense of intimacy and almost like a close proximity to the people that you're painting and i remember a painting from 2017 called yvonne and james and i Mm. loved that painting and i think i first saw it through through the internet and i remember just it spoke to me like their stare was so kind of welcoming and and Mm. and sort of warm and you, you you felt the sense of their warmth to you and also the way that their hands were like holding each other's hands, like it's just the most touching, wonderful portrait.
1: I love hearing you say that because it's one of my If I were to have favorites, I often say that I don't because they're like my <laughs> children and they're living people, and I don't want anybody
3: to get mad at each other. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, to I get offended, yeah, Popularity Like, contest, people, yeah. like, like exactly. sorry, mom, you're not my favorite, painting. but yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah.
1: But there is a real emotional connection for me that you're describing. What's unbelievable and what I love about painting is that. I have, as the first person kind of relationship to that painting, have a really emotional connection to it. I have the history and the stories. But to hear that you felt that through the way that it's painted and that their kind of hands are grasping one another is really magnificent as a maker to know that I've achieved that because that's always my intent. But that painting really represents, for me, two people. James being somebody who I painted First, when I was at Studio Museum in Harlem, he was one of the first kind of street casting scenarios where I was approaching people on the streets in Harlem. And um, he was somebody that quite immediately welcomed me into his environment with real grace and enthusiasm. And when he saw his painting for the first time, he was so excited that he ran away, like literally ran away. He was like, oh my God, this painting is like bigger than I thought. I thought it was going to be a drawing or something. I have to go get my wife. Oh, and then no. his wife came oh. back and was so taken by it that she flung her arms around me, started to cry and say that oh um, she she saw me as somebody who represented somebody that she loved, her husband, yes. um, oh. in the way that she had always seen and known him, oh, that that was a God. real gift. I know. Oh. So I, it's a story that often makes me cry, and I'm working really hard not to. But Yvonne passed away about a year ago. And... Oh. um that painting in particular i think really highlights the love that is embodied and was embodied in their relationship that she from that point on when she first met me and flung her arms around me was like i am committed to you and you are committed oh. to me that you are our daughter Connect- we are You're
2: connected yeah
1: to your- and mm. she literally will call me every week just to say hey baby girl like we just want to tell you we love you what's no you know way. what's going on i met my parents and none of that would have happened if I hadn't have just taken the risk to say hello in the first place, that it was just right. within reach of my day-to-day commute, this relationship that has changed my entire life. Wow. Um, so if, if, what it was feels it about, really it circle.
2: What was it about him? Why, what is it about subjects that you're drawn to?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it changes, not really, I don't know. There's something very intuitive that happens when you are moving through space with the intention of trying to capture someone's essence and energy. Um, the painting of James in particular that day, I had walked past James, but there was this, like the clouds had kind of parted. It was a coldish day and I remember the clouds parting and this beam of light literally landing on top of his head that made him look like (laughs) a a a bronze statue of like glory like it was like oh my god (laughs) if that's not a painting I don't know what it is like the universe literally delivered a painting in front of me and I was terrified to say hello so I walked past him ultimately came back because I had enough internal dialogue to yell at myself to go back Mm -hmm. um and then I there was just a softness in his eyes and I think that's generally true with the subjects that I encounter and the people that I choose to paint or photograph. Is that when I, whether it's me going out and meeting people for the first time or they're people that I've known and have thought about wanting to paint for some time, mm-hmm. there's something intuitive that and, and that happens that I just have to like trust it. Where you, where you feel the sense that people are letting you in and you you take that kind of cracked door and you fling it open and. Something really beautiful can happen. So yeah. usually, it's it's a return gaze in some capacity that people are expressing some curiosity about me in the same way that I'm expressing curiosity about them.
2: And yeah, do you, do you ever I paint your enter? subjects more than once? Do you ever like to James do it is one style? of the f-
1: yeah James is one of the only people that I painted more than once. James and Falu. So there's the painting of Bay Falls, and that's the first time I painted Falu with her brother on the street um, in Harlem in front of the Studio Museum. And then Falu was able to bring her street vending venture into an inside shop. And when she got that inside shop, I went back and photographed her in that space. It felt really um, monumental in her life to have a space like that. And so Mm -hmm. it felt right to go back and photograph and paint her. And then the painting of James and Yvonne, it was the same thing.
2: Do people think you're a photographer then, first and foremost? (laughs) Because you take photographs first and you work from photography, don't you?
1: Probably. I mean, when I approached James that first time, like he said, he thought I was just gonna make a little drawing or something. Like I was somebody who came up to him and was like, I'm a painter holding a camera, looking lost. Like he was probably like, Yeah, this I'm just gonna do this young person a favor because she's nice enough. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and had no real sense that it was gonna become a painting. So I'm sure that people could easily mistake me as a photographer first, but mm-hmm. I do not consider myself a photographer and I try to make so a So show you don't show
2: photographs, you don't show them. Well, you, I show the them, photographs, them paintings.
1: Yeah. I do show them like paintings. Like, no, I'll but you, like, I mean oh,
2: publicly, your f- the photographs you've made oh, of, of the subject, no. do you ever show them anywhere or they do they exist for the public or is that just for your archive?
1: Just for my archive because they're, uh-huh. I mean, I am in partnership with a photographer, so I have learned quite quickly that there is a lot involved in photography that I don't care about, quite frankly. Right, <laughs> and i right, right. I really am just using photography as a tool <laughs> to kind of, document it's like a documentarian where i'm just going out and taking a hundred photographs with no real kind of focus in mind i'm not mes- literally sometimes not focusing my camera i'm just mm-hmm. like clicking away and so they just become reference material for me in the studio i was um, gonna say because because the thing is you're taking photographs
3: but the paintings look like you're you're, you're sort of sat in front of these people. Yeah, they're painting sitters, them, Almost like yeah. life drawings. Like, they, yeah. they're, 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 they're so f- full and, like, and rich and alive. Like, they're, they're, you know, you can, you can, you can feel the, the, the presence of these these people. Like, like they in front I can't of you, believe yeah. that, that it's all from photography, you know, initially. It's such an
1: interesting thing. Yeah. Book. Well, I love that that's the case because I've, I've worked really hard to try to get that as a feeling for the viewer because I love life painting. I I did it when I was in graduate school. I was painting from life. And the transition to using photography as a tool happened when I decided to scale up and make the canvases life size or larger that I really wanted Mm. the subjects Uh to be a certain scale. And I realized that I couldn't necessarily like lug around my canvases into people's homes and expect them to sit for extended periods because I cared a lot (laughs) about going into their spaces. I didn't want them to just come into mine. Um, That for me, it was about an exchange and a willingness on my part to kind of meet them where they are. And in order to do that, photography became a means to achieve that. Um, But I don't, it's not a one-to-one relationship between a photograph and a painting. And I think that's partially what allows you to feel that it's painted from life is that I do allow myself to kind of recreate the environment and to pull in things that maybe were three or four feet away into the, the canvas and into the composition in order to kind of allow the viewer to access the things that i observed in that moment
3: um that actually feels like quite a new development in for, for me in painting in the sense that instead of it being that traditional model of like uh, somebody coming to an artist studio and then either taking their clothes off and, and be, you know being being the the, the, the life model Impressive. that you're you're, that you're actually like collaborating with, with with the people that are in your portraits yeah so it's a very it's... collaborative process
1: Oh, I, I, the word collaboration is always on the forefront of my mind that I want them to feel empowered and powerful. Um, and I want that to happen from the beginning of the process all the way to the end when the painting is living its life in a gallery or a museum that the gaze is part of that. So that the one thing that I ask of the sitters in that moment, they can sit however they want. They can tell me what things they want in it. They can, um, kind of direct the the image or the shot in a lot of ways, but the only thing that I ask is that they look at me um, when I take the image, take the photograph, and then that's something that I replicate in the paintings because I want them Mm -hmm. to be active, not passive wherever they go, that um, I fully recognize that like a baby (laughs) that I am nurturing, that there's a point like my mother had to let me out of the nest and hope that she had put within me all the values, all the skills I would need to fly on my own. And that's how I see the actual painting process as, as developing, that I have to kind of put into it all the things that it needs in order to kind of live a successful life outside of my nest. Um, and the gaze and the scale is a part of that.
2: How many paintings do you do at once and how long do they normally roughly take?
1: Oh, it's I've speed dating has never been something I've been capable of doing. um, And I feel the same way in the in the canvas realm or painting (laughs) that I can't like dabble over here and then dabble over there. Like I have to give my full attention to one painting at a time, Mm -hmm. um, which drives I mean, sort of nuts, but it's like literally the only way I can you're, work. You're a monogamous I started, painter. I am a monogamous painter. You're not in an open speaker. relationship with your <laughs> not studio Not an open yeah. relationship. I'm totally <laughs> like, I see you over there, I'm going to get to you in a minute, but I need to focus on what this baby needs <laughs> I've got to right do here. this relationship like, yeah! first. Yeah. What this baby <laughs> needs is like my full blooded attention. So I, I will take the time to mix all the colors for that canvas particularly. And then I work in sort of like sections. So like, I'm a completist even within the work itself. For example, um, I will do the entire face in one sitting and I won't go back and I won't work in it again. so I'm working wet on wet which I think is another tool for me to allow the feeling of freshness that comes from painting from life as I don't allow myself to fuss too much that I give myself a, a kind of time frame at three hours I'm to work on the face when the face is done it's done. the next day I'm not going back in and rendering it any further that it's it's really kind of at its end. Um, and then I'll move on to the hands and then I'll move on to the jacket and each of those sections will get completed in one or two sittings, um, wow. to kind of build, build the painting together. My best friend who's in sales often describes my painting practice as like a giant coloring book. Um, and I think she's sort of right. She has distilled it to the easiest form. Um, of course, but she's absolutely right. I build these outlines and then I fill them in similar to a coloring book. <laughs>
2: right right in sections yeah that's amazing (laughs) you're obviously you are an incredible incredible artist but are there any bits that you struggle with you're just saying about like the face the hands the clothes i mean do you ever find like when you get to the ears or the feet you're just like oh (laughs) fuck this this is like this is my least favorite part (laughs) of of the painting
1: it is the details so those couches with all the floral bits Uh or like i love that though the floral elements and the prints
3: in your paintings i go crazy for and like the small photographs in the background or like uh, you know, like all those interior details are, are kind of what I love so much about your paintings. Yeah. yeah, well,
1: I love that you love them because I'm hating myself the whole time I'm making them.
3: Uh, those are <laughs> the moments that I'm
1: literally like, like, kind of cursing under my breath and like Seriously? counting the seconds. Oh, it drives me nuts. I'm, I'm a, but I love it afterwards. Like, I right. for whatever re- way. Or for whatever reason, I when I was in graduate school, I remember doing the first couch, which was the painting of Jure, which is on view at um, the New Museum right now. But mm-hmm. he's sitting on, it's a nude figure, and he's sitting on this floral couch, and he has this plant kind of drooping next to him, and it, all you see are the outlines of this plant. And I decided yes. to do this floral – well, I didn't decide to do the floral couch. He decided to sit on that floral couch, and then I had to paint it. But the way that I decided to paint it – Because that was really special
2: was like, to him, wasn't it? That was yeah, an important yeah. couch or something, yeah.
1: Exactly. It was a friend of ours' couch, actually, um, because he didn't have furniture at the time, which was a whole other story. So we ended up having to kind of, like, find uh, an object in the world that he cared about and then go there. Um, mm-hmm. But when I started painting it, a friend of mine in graduate school, Heidi Hahn, was like – why do you make this so difficult for yourself in the way that you're painting the leaves on this plant? Like, I literally would draw and paint in like a coloring book each individual leaf. Like, I wouldn't do a layer of paint and then paint on top of it. Like, I literally outlined everything. I made it so difficult for myself, and I continued to do that, and it continues to drive me nuts. But the result does make me really happy. Like, I love that you can see. The paint kind of edge up one, the juxtaposition of the paint. And sometimes you can see the underpainting beneath, just beneath it. And I like that you can kind of really feel my hands in those moments. Mm. Um, but while I'm making it, I hate it. So those are real struggle points for me. Um, emotionally, I just, it's grueling.
3: And so something I really wanted to speak to you about was there's a painting of you where you paint yourself, and this this self-portrait, it's one of, again, like it's one of my favorites. I just, I, I love that painting of you. And wh- how, how, how does it feel when you actually then either take a photograph of yourself or I don't know if you paint yourself in front of a mirror or how, how you do those ones, but is, is it a very different um, sort of process to make a self-portrait?
1: Yeah. I mean, I very quickly, um, so... That self-portrait I think was done before I even went to graduate school. I, I assume the really? one you're talking about, I have the IV in my arm and like these like they're in yes. the backgrounds. There's I pasted in letters from my students from special education when I was teaching. Exactly. exactly. I pasted in the background all the like goodbye letters because I I at that time my health was really starting to deteriorate. And I I have lupus and at that, I'd started these kind of um these what is it called like trial medication infusion medications it was a Uh clinical trial that I started participating in so I did this really vulnerable painting (laughs) like really vulnerable painting and I really needed money and somebody reached out and asked to buy work and he offered to buy that painting and I didn't think twice about it Um, and sold it and now I look back at it and I'm like absolutely horrified that I sold it in some ways because it is such a vulnerable representation of myself that I I think that's why
3: I love it so much though and you know like some of my favorite paintings are like Frida Kahlo's you know, hospital paintings, oh, yes, or even Tracy. Totally. And, like, so I think that that's actually more to do with me in a way because, like, that's yeah. the kind of I, like I own hospital drawings by Tracy, and oh, you know, wow. even, even even abortion monoprints. Like, I'm very much into kind of those n- narratives of like yeah. making yourself vulnerable in art, which is why I think it speaks so much to me, probably.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And what I realized was that I actually didn't have. the capacity to be that vulnerable in art. In my first year in graduate school, I actually made a lot of work about having lupus. I made a lot of these like little pill bottle paintings and I did quite a lot of self portraits. And then I realized that I didn't like being front and center. And I also Mm -hmm. didn't like the vulnerability or the capacity for people to kind of tear an image of me apart emotionally or philosophically or whatever, that that was a part of me that was so kind of personal that I didn't want to put it out there. So I very quickly made the shift and the work that I sort of become known for is a lot of the work that has happened after that, which was my second year in graduate school, starting with the Visible Man series and then um, leaving and doing the Brothers series. But I have what I found for myself is that I love telling the stories of others and that My vulnerability exists as an artist by being willing to put my hand on display for others to see. And that I very much see myself in the work itself. So, for example, the the Visible Man series, there was a time where people would say that I only painted Black men, which was true to an extent, but it felt sort of limiting to the fact that I was a Black woman making that work and that I looked Mm -hmm. at the work and I saw so much of myself within it that it felt like to say that I only painted black men was negating my voice as a black woman um, and my hands and the power of making large canvases and portraits of people and trying to inject them into the art historical canon. Um, so all of which is to say that, I've, that self-portrait is probably the last for a very long, I can't imagine the next time that I will do another. Um, I have a lot of gratitude for it, but it was sort of sad to see it go um yeah fair enough and yeah, yeah. and now i i look at it and think i wish i had kind of kept it <laughs> maybe closer to my heart um into my own kind of thinking but it's crazy to think that that was so early on in my practice and how the practice yeah, is sort of mm-hmm. held on to some ways. the similar there's similarities in the way that i was painting now painting yeah, that totally. is what i mean. now even
3: the, the the print and then the kind of collage letters in the background like all of exactly that. and that, that, that that's very much what what I think about when I think about your work like it's not yep. it's not it's not even just the the people that are being portrayed it's it's very much the whole composition you know composition yeah. and and also technique like they're, 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 they're kind of big, bigger than just being figurative paintings to me like they're
1: absolutely
3: they're more expensive I think- than that
1: yeah, and for me, it's about hu- it is about humanity at the end of the day. Yes. The things that matter for me are these human relationships and um, vulnerabilities and authenticities, um, and being authentic with myself and with others and trying to represent them as such is the core and the crux of the work, um, mm. kind of theoretically speaking. So, yeah, I, it's it's kind of a remarkable moment to see it's evolution and to have that on display even now at the new museum um, to look back, there's real opportunity to kind of look back and find the threads through the practice.
2: How are you finding it at the moment then? Because with with the show being on pause, how is that affecting you, like your feelings about it? Because that must be really heartbreaking, but also how are you making work at the moment? And is it affecting the way you're making work and what sort of scale are you working at?
1: Yeah, so I—it's a double-edged sword. One end, three weeks ago, I started therapy again because I was so overwhelmed by the like visibility the show was bringing. That I—I right. was really having a hard time um, being as somebody who is chosen not to do self-portraits and put other people on the on the forefront was mm-hmm. w- real with real intention. I never really grasped the idea that I my face would become recognizable around the mm-hmm. practice mm-hmm. um and so i was really struggling with the kind of exhaustion factor of my schedule the things were becoming really busy um so there was part You're of me, the three famous
3: weeks ago, yeah,
2: a, there was, famous yeah, artist, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, well according to my nephews, definitely, because they called me the other day and said, Oh my god, Auntie, you have a Wikipedia and that was it. I was like, oh, game over. My, <laughs> <It's> nep- <official>. <laughs> <laughs> my nephews will never see me the same. Um <laughs> like talk them out of
3: that. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
2: Flushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: But yeah, there was part of me that thought like, oh, I had been asking for a break and here it is that I had been craving and needing like downtime. It's just come in in a way that puts a lot of life at risk, which is a real tragedy. So I, I feel a sense of, yeah, grieving around having prepared for this show for months and then kind of see it so quickly kind of disappear in front of my eyes, but then yeah. having to rethink how to engage with that, that it's still something that happened and it happened at 31 and it happened in New York city. And there's so much to celebrate about that. And this career of mine is one that I hope will last for many years to come. So there oh will God, be yes. more opportunities Um and staying grounded in that is the way that I'm, I'm moving forward, but, My partner, because of my lupus, I am um, a high-risk category, and so my partner and I, quite early on in all of this debacle, got an easel and some of my smaller canvases out of my studio and brought them into our studio apartment. So... We have zones officially over our apartment. That's basically the best way to describe it. It's like we have the kitchen <laughs> zone. We have the like living room zone, the bed zone. And now Do we... You like, claim the
2: bathroom. Yeah, yes. I claim
1: the bathroom. And then we took a part of our dining room table and set up my easel in that space. <laughs> um, and have kind of these small... I'm doing some of the small crop paintings. The I had a whole bunch of images from being on the subway, um, already Mm. ready to go. And I had small canvases ready to go for those images. So we brought those home and I've, I've actually found it quite difficult to paint in this space. I think, Mm my home zone has always been one for relaxation and mm-hmm. for not thinking about work. And mm-hmm. I'm, it feels like my Jordi, um part of myself, which I think of as my like home part, but the people who know and love me most intimately call me Jordi. And then there's Jordan Castile as an artist and painter. And all of a sudden those zones are in- intermingling and it's been mm-hmm. kind of difficult for me to um, focus on painting. So I've I've started a painting. I've spent probably in total five hours on a painting in the three weeks I've been home. Um, but I have made a lot of bread, on the other hand. So I'm keeping my hands busy. I don't know how to sit still. I just can't paint. So sketch, I'm making sourdough so bread.
2: Would you go No, I've paint never
1: though? been much of it. Yeah, I kind of go straight to paint. I sketch on the canvas with paint. Um, and that's kind of where it all starts. But I'm generally not... I'm always sort of embarrassed to say that because I feel like real artists sketch all the time or something, which is my own kind of, like, falsehood. Um, But I I don't sketch all the time. Um, I'm not necessarily that person. So um, I exercise my creativity in other ways and knitting or baking. And
2: um, You're so crafty, Jordan. Oh, I'm
1: very crafty. That's the part (laughs) of me. That's why I'm saying the little baby Jordan was, like, running around with my wagon, and I was passing out the flyers, but I was also, like making mobiles out of popsicle sticks and hanging them all over my wall oh yeah i was always my mom jokes that even as a young person all i would want for christmas was a box of things for michael's like that's all i would write on a christmas what's what's michael's Michael's is like a craft supply store okay. in the so States. Just a box and- of crap
2: from there that yeah, you could just, just then make it stuff out of. And yeah. she
1: said she would just go up and down the aisles and be like pom-poms, throw it in, like twisty things. I don't even know what that is, throw it in. Like hot glue gun was always something I needed. I always needed some glue sticks. But if I could have stuff, then I could make anything. And that was my escape wow. as the young person. And it's still that way now that yeah, my hands wow. always need to be moving. Um, I'm just not always able to paint in like a formal capacity did you ever um, think you'd be I'd a sculptor then,
2: talking about no. that? like, Oh, no. no. Oh, nah.
1: Oh, no. Nah. Nope. I mean, I was making <laughs> mobiles, but they weren't good mobiles, and I knew that even then, or I was like... Oh, right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think no part of me um, is good with tools. I'm quite clumsy, actually, and very frequently drop even my paintbrushes. So if I had a saw in my hand, I think it would probably be... You
2: uh, wouldn't have any would hands have a brush. left, Oh, right. uh,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's better to keep a brush than a, than a saw.
3: So thinking of like other artists, you know, you, you, you say that you're not a sculptor. What, what artists were you looking to when you were growing up? Or even what artists do you sort of connect with now or have a camaraderie with now?
1: Yeah. So when I was growing up, I was mostly only aware of the work that was on the walls of my home and my parents, my grandmother was actually on the board of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York when she was, um, and she was on a lot of different wow. boards. She was really active in arts, um, so in New York a collector, city, right? She collected work, but of black artists, she was kind of friends and peers. We have Romare Bearden and Hale Woodruff in the house. Um, and Faith Ringgold, you Faith Ringgold yeah. and Yeah, so which oh, I love Faith Ringgold so much. I'm like yeah. totally obsessed. But those were there were whether they were posters or original works of art, they had been passed on from my grandmother to my mother and my mom, so that was in our house growing up. Um, and that was the work that I knew. I knew uh, mainly Black artists of a certain time. And then when Mm. I got to Yale, it was one of the first times that I was introduced to artists such as like Alice Neal or even contemporaries, Mickalene Thomas or Kande Wiley were two figurative painters that had gone through the Yale program that I became aware of once I was there as well. Um, And now it's unbelievable. I'm I'm most inspired by my students. That sounds like really cliche, but in a lot of ways, like I'm really inspired by the things that they do because they're... Mm uninhibited by the pressures or the expectations that the art world puts on us artists and the things that they make feel really fresh and honest and raw Um, in their, in their, there's a lot of sincerity within the work that they're making that I think a lot about and am inspired by and try to bring into my own practice. But Carrie James Marshall, I mean, there are so many, I could go on and on.
3: <laughs> I love it um, though, it's amazing.
1: Oh yeah, I mean- And they're there's... all artists
3: that I, I love. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. every time you're saying one in my brain, I'm like, ding,
1: oh. ding, ding, so, like, ding. I totally yeah. dawned on me as I was like preparing for teaching, right? And thinking about how I could connect my kind of Jordan Castile world to Professor Castile worlds so that there were access points for me For them. Um, and then I I was like, wait, I could like text Amy Sherald or Shabalala self and see if they'd be willing to spend 20 minutes. Like I actually could do this and and it could be really meaningful for them, whether it's Toyin or Devin and Devin Shimiyama, like these Mm -hmm. are people, Aaron Gilbert, all of them have agreed to like participate in those 20 minutes. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I know. Because I want to get in on most
2: calls. Yes, That's I want to be one of your students. Know, like, why am I not I your student? <laughs>
1: although <laughs> although we, have been,
3: we have been quite lucky because uh, um, we've spoken to Toyin already. Oh, and, amazing. Um, and I met, met Shabalala in Margate where I live in the seaside town in England. She came down for a day. So I've hung out with her. Mm-hmm. I love I that. I've met, I've met quite a lot of people recently. but mm-hmm. it's, um, Yeah, see, so you so if you're doing some, that, you're doing it too. Something that Sometimes I loved about what you said about your students was encouraging people to apply to everything. So... We, we spoke with Lisa Yuskavige, um yesterday oh, yes. and she was talking all about these rejection letters that she'd like extensively <laughs> archived and documented for <laughs> numerous years. But it never really, even though it might have upset her at the time in a way, in, it, it, instead you just have to keep on and yeah. you, know, you have to sort of believe in yourself and
1: apply. I think once you've achieved a certain amount of success, people forget all the rejections that came before that and all the times that people told you you weren't good enough, all the times that people said that they wouldn't collaborate with you, all the times that you were rejected in various capacities. And I think it's important to remember that because when you remember that, you remember that you broke through, that there were times and places where somebody gave you an opportunity. And I, I do believe in applying for everything particularly because I've been able to be on both ends of what it means to apply to something. Now I've been the applicant and I've been the person who is choosing applicants and trying to like the selection committee and being in the room, you really realize that those rooms change every year. And I'm always telling my students that, that like the people looking at your work often changes and what they're looking for changes. And if you don't take the chance, you never know. I, if I hadn't have taken the chance at Yale, I would have never gotten in the door. And I definitely didn't deem myself as being good enough. Um, but I threw my hat in the basket just because there was something to learn from that experience. And I do believe that there's a lot to learn by by being willing to take a risk in whatever yeah. capacity it is. And it happens in my practice. Now the risk-taking just goes up. You know, it looks like me going up to people with the potential of being rejected um, Do you get rejected? Have no. you had people yeah. say
2: no? Have you had <laughs> no, people say actually, no? I,
1: haven't. I haven't. Oh, right. have it. I have it. Wow. I have not It's kind of crazy. There's been one time where somebody was really skeptical, and that's the painting of Stanley. And you see it in his eyes. I think, unlike James and Yvonne, um, he looks really hesitant. Um, Mm -hmm. I look at that painting, and I can't help but see his skepticism because I approached him, and he was waiting to get his hair cut, Mm -hmm. and he asked me to wait until after he had his hair cut, and I told him that I would give him a lineup in the painting because, you know, I'm a magician, that I would, like, take care of him, Uh and he was like, hmm okay question mark and i took the photo and we exchanged contact information <laughs> and you feel it in that painting that's yeah. so that's but he's quite he was started. he had
2: his vanity in order then he was like yeah, wait my hair's did. gotta look sick for this and then you can <laughs> <Exactly>. paint me <laughs>
1: exactly he was like i haven't had a lineup yet and i was like don't worry i'll line you up in the, and up he up was like, the studio okay. yeah uh,
2: i love the fact sort you're sort quoted saying that one of your goals with because you go into the communities and the people you're kind of painting are uh, you're like adding value to the common man it's the people that like, a uh, uh, form solid parts of the community. But you said that one of your goals is to get these people onto the wall of a museum. That's one of yeah, your main drives.
1: Definitely. My intention is kind of bringing the everyday into institutional spaces where I often feel that through kind of like various um, power structures that people haven't had the capacity of feeling that they belong in those spaces, nor have they been given a chance to belong in those spaces. Mm -hmm. And um, I really want people to know that they are valuable and that I value them and that they are worth kind of being honored in this way and living forever, that their stories are valuable for many generations to come. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's without a doubt my intention when I'm approaching someone, it's like, my goal is to get you on the wall of a museum. Mm -hmm. Um, And to see that fulfilled now in in many ways, the best moment. Um, And Russell, you were with me at the opening, which maybe we should talk about too at the new museum, because one of my favorite moments is when the openings me. happen. Yeah, meeting you. <laughs> absolutely. I saw the
3: photo. I saw the photo from England and was super. Had like major FOMO, fear of missing oh out. I was like, gosh. I was like, why am I not there? I love her so much. <laughs> yes. And now I'm finally <laughs> getting to talk to you, so I'm evening. so happy. It's like dreams yeah, are true. Yeah.
1: See, and we barely got to talk, Russell and I, that evening. So don't worry, okay. we're all a part of it now. Because
3: photos I was always make things look though so much exactly. like you've we spent hours
2: together. We were breaking down yes, our history. Yeah, we went for dinner. We left the room. opening, we ran <laughs> off, yeah. She painted me. It was yes. really, it was intense. It was a magical evening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, we did a lot. Yeah, we did a lot. We did the whole thing. But one of my favorite things about the openings, what I love that you got to witness too, is that the subjects come and that it is about them kind of bearing witness to this moment and being participants, that they were all meeting each other and introducing themselves to each other. Some of them so were like cool. posting up in front of their paintings and like, Shaking hands with people that um that it really was like a celebration. I haven't been mm. to an opening at New Museum that felt quite like that evening felt. Mm. Like you went to my floor and the energy was unlike oh, it was anything. Oh, it was amazing! Like people. But didn't were you have one of your happy. sitters?
2: Didn't you have one of your subjects was downstairs and someone came and found him from the museum because they yes, recognized him my and then led him Emmanuel. up VIP style up to oh. his.
1: He was living a dream but he also made a very poignant observation He, the, the next kind of class that I had after the opening where he is a student of mine still currently and I asked him to share with the group what his experience was like at the opening and he said well the first thing that caught my attention was that somebody recognized me and shepherded me upstairs and said oh you're one of you know the subjects in the work let me take you upstairs and how kind of amazing that was for him as somebody who hadn't experienced that before in a space like that he had been to the new museum before and felt like he had to kind of follow, um, had certain P's and Q's he needed to follow. Yes. Um, But then he got upstairs and he said that even though he felt outnumbered um, in terms of, uh, as there weren't, even within that crowd, there weren't that many people of color, that he was still one of a few, but he felt validated by the fact that he was on the wall and so were all of his friends, that he would look up above the crowd and he'd be like, she has my back he has my back, like, oh, my boy Jahi's right. over here. Like, I actually do belong. Like, this is for me and about me. So I'm going to, oh, yeah. like, sit in this um, space because it's for me. And so all the rest of it didn't matter, that he, he didn't really pay any mind to who he was talking to. Um, and I also love that people, you could have a billionaire or a very famous collector or curator in the room. And my students may or may not know that and, or the subjects, but all every, there was an equalizing factor that night. Everybody was was on the same playing field. Yeah. Everybody was on the same playing field. Students would walk up to somebody and say, what brought you here? And, they'd be like, oh, um, I'm the curator of the exhibition. Like, oh, oh, excuse me. Okay, well, I'm on the wall. You know, like all of a sudden we're just as important.
3: Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's really, though, what art can do. You know, art can it create is. space and, 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 and a platform, you know, for, 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 for other people. Like it's, yes. a, you know, for your, for your friends or for, or for your family or for, you know, for, 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 for other people around the world. Like it, it's an it's a amazing, f- powerful thing, really.
1: It is. It is one of the best things I think art can offer is the ability to see ourselves represented um, and to see history represented. I I was telling my students even in this time and in this moment is that artists throughout history, during times of tragedy or shift in society, that we are the ones to capture that in whatever means that we can. Um, That it's through our kind of creative gesture and observations that we can tell the story for generations to come. Um, right. and, and that's a pretty powerful place to be in, yes, to think that yeah. you, can, you can kind of document a time empathetically. You can make and, a change.
2: Yeah, make a exactly, yeah, exactly. And
1: also, I,
3: I actually feel like your work's um, changing now. You know, I, I think you're actually, as well as changing in, in you know, being there for the future generations, I feel like it is having a big impact on everyone now, which is also a really wonderful gift for you, I guess, to be able to experience that.
0: Yeah, it
1: is. It's a wonderful experience, but it, yeah, it's, it's, it's mind boggling to me um, the way that social media functions that I can post an image and people are commenting on that image that Mm. seeing um, lean, for example, I posted a few days ago on my Instagram and there were a lot of comments about kind of seeing tenderness represented in at this time in the world where we're all feeling kind of apart and in our separate spaces to feel Mm kind of that security within an image um, really meant something to them from their various homes like that's that's pretty amazing like it's crazy to think that 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 imagery has the power to make someone feel seen and heard and validated in their feelings whatever Mm -hmm. that might be
2: that's culture culture moves culture changes things that's what art does it changes the world that's why they want to Get rid of it. That's why they're trying to stop <laughs> stop people having this that opportunities. Like it's crazy. Yeah, it is so we crazy. ask every that's guest that true. comes on two questions. The first one is: If you could do an imaginary art heist, you could steal any work of art in the world you want, and you can live with it yourself. <laughs> what would it be in and wine? And it can be absolutely anything.
3: It can be oh. huge as well. If you we, we have cranes and planes and helicopters, yep. anything you need, oh we'll be there for you. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is oh,
1: that's a great question. What my I've gone through like three different paintings in my head already and I'm like ooh but which one's more valuable and which one would I
3: yeah. actually tell us all with? if you want okay, and it's a painting
2: <laughs> though that's interesting it's <laughs> definitely a painting
1: it's definitely a painting I mean there I would take any Carrie James Marshall off any wall any place mm. and love to kind of like steal that it, I mm. can't even name one in particular and I would die to the live the entire show at the Whitney oh no, yeah can <S laughs> I take the whole yeah, show The, Met, the Met. you guys I, yeah. figure that, that out a way be, to
3: make yeah, that I box mean, yeah. oh the Met sorry <laughs> yeah the Met
1: exactly yeah. the entire show at the Met it's totally, I mean, I've already talked about this painting for another, like, for the New York Times, like, little video. But the Faith Ringgold, the Alice Neal painting of Faith Ringgold is definitely another painting that I would steal oh. and love to live with. Um, or, like, share with that. the world. It's wow. fantastic. Alice Neal painted Faith Ringgold, and it's really great. And she has these, she's sitting in this red dress on a chair, and it's, like, all old pattern that makes me think of those floral couches that I painted like, I just love the patterning, and she's so relaxed and looks incredibly regal. Love that painting. So that's probably, those, those are the two things that come to mind that I Did would Did your grandmother steal.
2: ever meet Alice Neal?
1: I don't think so. Right. I don't think so. I don't know, okay. actually. I was too young um, to, like, have the capacity to ask her such a question mm-hmm. when she mm-hmm. passed away. But I would be curious.
2: Where is her collection now? Is that part of the family?
1: Yeah, it's in my mom's house. Mostly hanging out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's my in Denver. Mom, in Denver, yeah, uh-huh. Denver, Colorado. And then my mom jokes that now she has Jordan Castile's hanging out in the basement as well,
2: yes. which is stressing
1: her out because <laughs> um, I basically have stored a lot Dorage. of stuff down there. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you collect? You do you collect other me?
2: artists' work?
1: Oh, uh, I mean. I haven't collected on, on a formal, in like a formal capacity, but when I was in graduate school, you know, at the end of the school year, we would all trade. And so I have the work of a lot of my classmates through trades that we did when we were in graduate school. I have Heidi Hahn is like one of my favorite oh, wow. contemporary peers, like painters. She is I love her paintings and the way she uses the material. And I have two of hers somehow. I don't know how that happens, but I'm not complaining. Um, and what else do I have on my wall? Um, it's quite good timing because you can actually Yeah, look around right? And see. I'm like, yeah, let me <laughs> actually, what else do I have on my wall? I have a Wade McIntosh. Um, I have a Sam Messer. I have Genevieve Gangyard. I have um, Alex Bradley. Cohen. I have an AWOL Arisku photograph he did mm. of me. Um, um, yeah. So it's like there, there's like a weird hodgepodge on my wall. But collecting, once I have the space, I also am in a New York apartment, studio apartment. So the idea of collecting has not spread immensely yet because I can't, can't spread. can not the very So the, other, right the
3: other question we ask every guest is, what is your favourite colour?
1: Oh! <gasps> and have said, rain can I just say a rainbow? I The first yes. thing I learned to do was, like, a rainbow. And my mom jokes that I used to do it for my brother in preschool because I, once I realized what a rainbow was, I would do a rainbow on everything. And to this day, if I could just, like, color a rainbow, it's all of them. Like, baby, you can make every color from... A rainbow.
3: That's so a good I know that's No, no, say no say one's that. ever, no, ever really? given us that.
2: brilliant.
1: Okay, well, because it's a cop out for not giving you one color. That's what it is. But <laughs> but it I also it makes less. sense for your.
2: It makes sense for your personality, Jordan. You have like a rainbow. Yeah effervescent personality which i think shines through your work as and well and optimism, why you're, I think, why you're and yeah why yeah, you're incredibly yeah. popular as well because you have the work which is just incredible but you as a human is just so um appealing you're so lovely yeah. it's like you've got this like, wonderful i also openness. feel
3: like i also really respond to the kindness like yes. the thoughtfulness and the care you take yeah. and not just about your own art but other people's art and I just uh, well, find you. that kindness and generosity of spirit like something we have to celebrate more in this world. Mm-hmm. You know? I really, um,
1: that means a lot to me because I do think that um, if we all just like take the time to slow down enough to like mm-hmm. think, when I enter my classroom, I enter the classroom aware that my students experience something that morning that I may or may not be aware, like acutely aware of, nor will they tell me. But if you, if you, through the practice of empathy, you can recognize that we're all coming to the table with, a lot of different experiences and there are good days and there are bad days. But if I can like sit with the potential that you are a complex human being, then really magnificent (laughs) things can happen because you get to see truth and truth is, you know, a powerful thing. So,
2: Wow. Jordan, we've got one more question for you actually because we're doing bonuses, which is, what is your hidden, you've just discovered your hidden lockdown talent, something you didn't know you could do until we've all been (laughs) in quarantine?
3: Or something that you want to encourage
1: <laughs> oh, I might hit Like, okay. So my boyfriend, he's been jo- like joking because he's like, you are mastering everything. And it's making me feel quite fragile right now because I've given him a haircut and I did it quite well. I was thoroughly did proud you? of myself. Hidden talent. Um, I might start becoming a bar. No, anyway, definitely gonna <laughs> not actually cut his hair ever again. Potentially, he said it's a little history because half of it is not like one side is more blended than the other. Um, there's like wow. a bowl cut on one side, but he trusts oh, me enough to do it and making oh, bread. wow!
2: Yeah, I'm so making bread. You just yes, said sourdough. sourdough. Wow.
1: Yeah, I've been sourdough breaking baking. Quite a lot lately. Like, I might look like a loaf of bread when this is all
2: over.
1: Um, <laughs> i doing this so much. <laughs> like, it's totally possible. Half of me is going to be a bowl of mac and cheese. The other half is going to be a, a loaf of bread. Yeah, exactly. So, I love this. I've been making delicious, a
2: lot of <laughs> yeah. delicious combination And
1: it's coming out like my first loaf. I was so proud of it. I was like, hidden talent. I didn't even know. If all else fails, I'll have a bakery barbershop.
2: Exactly. What, a yeah. bakery barbershop. Yes, <laughs> yeah. hy- not very hygienic, but getting in the uh, You know, I'll develop some kind of walls between. You yeah,
1: go yeah, in the back,
2: get yeah. your hair come up at the get front for the Get your hair cut, bake a load, yeah. hair I've, cut, yeah. I've
3: had to, I've been having to really relax because I normally get my hair cut every three weeks or something. And I've just had to let it all grow out and my yes. beard. Yep. And I'm, I'm yep. beginning just to look like, not like me, but I, it's a new me, so it's fine. But I don't have anyone here to cut my hair. So maybe I'll... Uh, maybe I'll I'll call you when I get to New York. I day. got yes. you. I got oh, you. Well, sending no, so I much love to me, you promise. and thank Thanks, you Jordan. So this has been much. amazing. Been super massive privilege to spend this hour with you. I've loved yeah. every oh, likewise. minute, and yeah. you've brought light and joy to my day. So thank you. Oh, and, likewise, um, I
1: really appreciate it.
3: For images of um, all the artworks we've discussed today, you can visit our Instagram at Talk Art and um, Jordan. Jordan, you on you're Instagram? on Instagram,
2: aren't you? Yeah.
1: Yes, I am on Instagram. And my handle's just Jordan M. Castile. My middle name's Margaret. At the time, Jordan Castile was taken. So it's Jordan, Jordan.
2: M. Castile. Amazing. Well, we should get yeah. to follow you and, and check that out. And you can also
1: um,
3: find images of Jordan's works at Casey Kaplan Gallery. And I'd like to say thank you to them because they've been very supportive and yes, lovely. Yes, it been amazing. Um, and um, we will be back very soon. Thanks
2: for listening. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jordan. Bye.
0: Thank Bye, you. Jordan. Bye. Bye. Bye.
3: You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,